Well, welcome to the third Sunday of Advent, this special time of year where we look back at the birth of Jesus and the blessings that he brought to this world, and we celebrate the gifts that are unique to him. And we say that these gifts are unique to Jesus because when Jesus came and lived his life and did all of the Jesus things that he did, he changed our understanding, our definition of things like hope, peace, joy, and love. And we look forward to the return of Jesus, where uh, he will return to take us to the home that God has prepared for us. And so, as we said last week, we live our lives in the great in-between. Uh, between the time where Jesus came to the earth and changed it forever and the time where we know he will return. So we have talked about hope and we have talked about peace. And today we are going to light the candle of joy, or we have lit the candle of joy, I should say, declaring that lasting joy has indeed come to the world through the birth of Jesus. Now, of all these weeks, I've kind of told you what happens, you know, in the week before peace, uh, it seems like chaos breaks out, right, in my life, and so then I have to preach on peace. Uh, but joy is always the most challenging one for me to speak on, and I know that probably surprises you a great deal. Um, <laughs> I am known as a extremely outwardly joyful person. Uh, some of you have called me, you know, Captain Smile, which I know is just me all the time. Um, but it does, uh, it, it takes some work to get into this subject for me. And even though I've spoken on this several times, and, and some of the things I'm going to share with you I've already shared with you before, uh, they are good reminders about what makes the joy that we find in Jesus so significantly different. Uh, than any other joy we can experience or even what our understanding of joy might be. So what do we mean when we talk about joy? And this is an important question, uh, maybe even more so than in, our, than in our conversations about hope and peace. And the reason why it's such an important question is that there are a lot of uh, other ideas that are kind of, you know, attached to joy. Uh, and, and the main one uh, is, is a concept that is very similar to joy, but is not the same, and it is the concept of happiness. Uh, when most of us think of joy, we also think of happiness, right? And, and this is part of what has led me, at times, to struggle with the concept of joy, because when I think of joy and I tie it to happiness, I sometimes feel like that in order to be a joyful person, I have to run around with some sort of goofy smile on my face. Yeah, smiles are goofy in my opinion, just so you know. I have to run around with some sort of goofy smile on my face, breaking into song everywhere I go about the joy that I have in my heart, which is there. I do have joy in my heart. I want you to know that. You just have to dig a little deeper. We associate the same kinds of feelings and experiences with both joy and happiness, and it's very natural for us to do so. What makes you happy? Well, this is where we start to get into the territory that sort of delineates between the two. Because there are countless things that can make you happy. Uh, your family, your friends, eating your favorite foods, good weather, puppies, all of these things, right, can make you happy. Just uh, hitting all the green lights can make you happy. Right? All, these, all these small things, 
All these small things that happen to us every day have the ability to bring us happiness. But here's the thing. Are all of those things, do they, are, they, are they potential sources of joy? So, like, I might be really happy if I hit all the green lights, but would I get home and say, there is deep joy in my heart today because I didn't have to stop as frequently as I normally do. It doesn't quite feel the same, right? Like, I can come home and say, dude, it was so great. You know, I got home faster than ever. Because, you know, we all time our commutes home, no matter, like, whether we think we're doing it or not. It's sort of the subconscious thing that happens to us. And so we know that there are things that make us happy, but we wouldn't necessarily call them sources of joy. So why does this difference matter, this difference between happiness and joy? Well, the difference is significant, and it's significant for this reason. Happiness comes and goes. I, you know, happiness is great. I, I, I want us to be happy, but it comes and goes, and its, it's presence, the presence of happiness, is most often dependent upon whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in. Um, and these things, it's actually the circumstances which are making us happy. Oh, it's sunny out. I'm happy about that. Or, oh, my favorite song came on the radio. I'm happy about that. And it's sort of haphazard, isn't it? I mean, we might wake up happy, or at least some of you might wake up happy. And, you know, so you carry this feeling into your day. But otherwise, the things that, are, that make us happy, we don't really have much of a sense of when they'll happen or how they'll happen. And... And we can be happy one minute and then terribly unhappy the next. Thank you, God, for this gift that you have given me. Wait, 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 wait. Why did you give me this instead? Now, joy, on the other hand, is something that I think has to have more staying power than happiness. Okay? It, it, it needs to have more durability. And here is the definition uh, of joy. Joy is a positive and intense emotional state characterized by feelings of happiness, contentment, and a sense of well-being. It is often accompanied by a sense of inner satisfaction, delight, and a positive outlook on life. Joy can be triggered by various experiences such as achievements, meaningful connections with others, or moments of beauty and wonder. Unlike fleeting emotions, joy tends to be more profound and enduring, contributing to an overall sense of fulfillment and happiness. Okay, that's a pretty good definition that uh, helps us to understand that we're not, when we're talking about joy, we're not necessarily talking about happiness, which seems weird, I know. But the key is, the key difference is that while happiness comes and goes, joy does not. Joy sticks around. And it is not so anchorless that it can be stolen by any small change in our circumstances. It is not joy dependent on everything being to our liking and staying the way we want it to be. Joy is bigger than that. Joy is bigger than that. Can we experience true joy here on earth in the lives that we live? Of course we can. 
Of course we can. I have had great moments of joy here on earth, but I also know that those moments of joy are different than the feelings of happiness that I have, that, that the joy that I have experienced in things like having my children, in uh, things like, you know, my family, or, or in things that are, are just bigger than whether or not things went my way, those thoughts, those feelings, they stick around, don't they? Like, I can remember what it felt like to hold Zeke for the first time. I can remember what it felt like to hold Jed for the first time. And then I remember that they don't let me hold them now, but that's fine. Like, they're a little big for that sort of thing. So I remember those things, and I hold on to those things, but even so, I know that those feelings are, to a degree, they, they end. It's not the same joy that I had 17 years ago and 13 years ago. It feels different, and what I realize about it is that even though I experience moments of great joy here on earth, that joy can be overwhelmed and forgotten. Um, not that I forget how grateful I am for my kids, but it just doesn't carry the same weight that it did in that moment, you know? It, it just doesn't, doesn't feel quite the same. And here's the main difference then between the joy that we have here on earth, which is a great thing, and the joy that we have in Jesus. Whereas the joy that we have in things here on earth can be overwhelmed, the joy that we have in Jesus overwhelms. And that's the main difference between the joy we have here and the joy that we have in Jesus. So let me explain to you a little bit kind of how this works. In order to do this, we are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 61. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open up to Isaiah chapter 61. This is going to be our main passage for this morning. Now, the book of Isaiah was written during a time where there was not a whole lot of joy. Uh, it was coming down toward the end of uh, both, well, let me back up a second. You had the whole nation of Israel and the nation of Israel split into two different kingdoms. Okay, so Israel became the kingdom of the north and Judah became the kingdom of the south. And Jerusalem was located in the south in Judah. And so, during this, this time, uh, when they had separated, each side had a king, and some of the kings were good and some of the kings were bad. The kings in the north were mostly bad and then got worse. And, and the kings in the south were better off and on, but they were still heading in a negative direction. And so, through this time, the people of God, though they were their own uh, they, they were their own people, they had their own kingdoms, they had their own kings, they still were moving further and further away from God, from a time of great blessing into a time of great trouble. And what ends up happening is that Israel, the northern kingdom, they end up going into exile. They're defeated by the Assyrian army, and they are taken away, and their whole land is taken over. Judah holds out for a while, but the same fate is heading there. The same fate is coming for them, and they are heading in that same direction. The book of Isaiah occurs during this time, and so chapters 1 through 39 were written during a time uh, when the kings of Israel and Judah 
experienced great success followed by this dramatic fall. And so therefore, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are filled with warnings. If you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. Here's how you're treating God. And if you continue down this way, this is what's going to happen. The second half of the book was written at a time when the northern kingdom had already gone into exile. And so part of what Isaiah is talking about in the last half of the book is he's giving, uh, he's talking to the people in the south who have not yet, their kingdom has not yet fallen, but he's also speaking to those in the north who are living away from their homes, away from God, whose identity has been completely stripped. And those people who were away from God, who had lost everything, there was not much occasion for joy in their lives. They lived, you might imagine, a very joyless existence. So here's what Isaiah says to those groups of people during this time. From Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, which means they won't have to do it themselves. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes the seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So, believe it or not, this passage, which apparently I messed up on the slides a little bit, so I'm sorry about that. This passage tells us all of the reasons why the joy that we have in God is greater than the joy we have here. And why we can cling to the joy that we have in God. So here we go. 
one of the main building blocks, the foundation of our joy in Jesus is restoration. It's restoration. God's ability to take what is broken and to make it new again. Now, there's a lot of words we can use here besides restoration. We can use redemption. We can use salvation. But whatever, use, whatever words we use, the idea is all the same. There is something that is broken, that is injured, that is away from God, and, th- and through the work of God, and we know through Jesus, those things that are broken and away from God are brought back to God again, and they are made new. That is a wonderful thing, isn't it? That God, one of his main characteristics is that he loves to restore and make new. Now, the fact that this is foundational shouldn't surprise you very much since restoration is foundational to both the hope and peace we have in God, and we've talked about it the last two weeks. But it's interesting to look at Isaiah chapter 61, which is a letter of hope, encouragement, and joy for those who are in the midst of one of the unhappiest times of their life. And it sort of makes the question come up, is how can you experience joy not just when you're unhappy, but when things look really bad? around you and you have no idea or no sense for where your life is going and whether you will ever reclaim the life that you had before all of this are we forever going to be a people in exile will we ever know ourselves again so when isaiah speaks these words about restoration it is a promise to them that no matter how far from god they may be and they are really far from god no matter how far from god they may be god has not and will not forget them they are still his people and he is still their god And therefore, though they are in exile, God still has a plan for them. And what is that plan? God's plan is simply to restore them. Look, you are in exile right now, but you're not going to be in exile forever. There is an end to this thing. And whoever you may feel like you are, in this time of exile that is not who you really are you are still the people of god and god will restore you again from isaiah chapter 61 verses 3b through 4. look at these words they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the lord for the display of his splendor they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations those are powerful words to a people whose cities have been destroyed whose homes have been torn down who no longer know if there's even a place for them to go back to and what does god speak 
into that moment, there is restoration even for you who see no hope and who see no way out. This illustrates something really important for us if we are going to live lives of joy, and that is this. You don't experience the joy of God. It's not found in his making everything right for you. That's not joy. Instead, our joy is found in God's ability to take what is so wrong, let's be honest, which is going to happen over and over again, right? It's in his ability to take what is so wrong and to make it new again. God is the cheat code. He cannot be beaten. He cannot be overcome. And one of the best things about him is that he loves the people he loves. He is loyal to them. And so exile will not be the song that they sing. They will sing a song of restoration. And everyone will look at them and will say, you are a people blessed by God. Do they feel that way in the moment? No. But this is the promise that God gives to them. And this is reason for God's people to rejoice. And and then this captures something else that we have to understand. You know, if we had unlimited happiness and joy all the time, would we appreciate what we have? Not really. Which, you know, that tells us that the road to restoration is an important one. The road to restoration is an important one because it is that road that helps us understand what the joy of the Lord actually is. From Psalm 126, verses 1 through 6. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap the songs of joy. Those who go out weeping carry seeds to sow. Will, carrying seeds to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It's the same story, guys, but, but joy is interwoven into this one a little bit more than we see in Isaiah chapter 61. Because this passage acknowledges both what it is like at first to experience the restoration of God, and they can look back. And when they look back, what do they say? We were like those who dreamed. I love that. We were like those who dreamed our mouths were filled with laughter our tongues with songs of joy but guess what happened things went wrong they went wrong and the the people that they used to be these people of dreams uh the edges have gotten a little rough and it's harder for them to dream now based on where they are and and what has happened and what has been done. So then, 
for those people, these words are the best kinds of words, you see. And he doesn't just tell them, you know what, one day you're going to be really joyful again. Look out for it, because it's coming. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, one day you are going to be restored. God has already done it. God will do it again. And when you are restored, guess what is going to be the hallmark of that experience? Joy. Restoration is a really big idea that I'm not sure we always appreciate. But this tells us why it's so important. It's so important because we are going to find ourselves away from God. We are going to find ourselves in what feels like exile. We are going to find ourselves in moments where we don't know who we are or what's going on or what's going to happen next. We are going to have times where we are extremely unhappy. The promise of what will happen is that God will restore. Do you know why? Because that's what he does. That's what he does. And when you, on, when you are on your journey from exile to restoration, that is when you know what joy is. You don't know joy when everything is perfect in your life. And if that's you, I don't even want to talk to you this morning. You don't know that. You know joy when things are horribly wrong and God comes in and restores. And you get to journey back to fullness, to wholeness with him. The real story of God's people through all this time is not that they have always had it good with God or that things would always be happy. Instead, their story, our story, is grounded in the truth that life is messy and difficult, but God always redeems and restored. And therefore, the word that is sent out to them is that you are not out of God's reach. And he will restore you. Which leads us to the second part, which is especially true for these people. It's true for us. There is joy in receiving what we do not deserve. What we have not earned, what we should not get. When I was a kid, I always wanted the big toy sets, you know? Like I was a fan of G.I. Joe, I was a fan of He-Man. And, uh, but those, those sets were really expensive. And there were three of us who were all the same age. And so we just couldn't buy all those big things. But there was one Christmas where forces outside of my immediate family conspired. And that year, I got the He-Man castle. That's right. It had a throne on top that you could turn, and a carpet on the floor would fall down, and the bad guy would fall through the floor. It was amazing. That same year, my sisters got the My Little Pony castle. We were castled up in the house that year. And let me tell you something, and maybe you've experienced this. There is something about receiving a gift that you know you have no business getting. 
that is beyond your reach, that is incredible, isn't it? Is this, is this for me? It better be because I'm going to fight anyone who comes near it. Right? What is one of the main characteristics of the restoration that God brings to his people? Well, it's a restoration that is not earned. In fact, you could argue that the people of God have done more to prove that they're not worthy of the restoration that God brings. That the entire exercise of needing, of needing restoration was one of them showing how unworthy they are. It is not deserved. Do you know what God's people deserved at that time? They deserved exile. They were where they should have been. They could not undo what had been done. But here's the miracle. God, out of his love and his faithfulness, even though they were so unfaithful to him, God restores anyway. He does it anyway. He gives his people something they don't deserve and can never earn. Let's look again at verses 6 through 7 of Isaiah 61. He says to these people again who had abandoned him, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, which they had reason to be shameful, friends, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will, receive, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. There is something we need to recognize, and that is this. The restoration that God brings to us does not make sense. It is too big. It is too grand. It is too much for the people that we actually are. We have done nothing to deserve what God brings to us. But God does it anyway. He does it in full knowledge that we don't deserve this. He does it knowing the bad things we're still going to do. And he restores anyway. And he doesn't do it once. He does it again and again, and again, giving a restoration that is not deserved. We get ourselves into lots of trouble, and we push God out of the picture in too many ways for us to count. And there is no reason why our God, like the gods of Rome and Greece, should not be petty in paying us back for the stupid things that we do. And every other God in human history that we have created gives us back what we deserve. But our God does not. Because our God is not like any other gods. He chooses to not give us what we deserve. And, and he remembers when he should forget. 
He pulls close when he should push away. He restores when he should hold our faults against us. And friends, the fact that he does not and gives us the grace and mercy and restoration we don't deserve is a source of unending joy. Unending joy. Because I know, I know, that no matter how bad the road in front of me may be from my own doing, that God will not grow tired of taking me back. And that, while it's scary knowing what may come, right, makes me feel a different way about it. I cannot outrun our God. I cannot get so far away from him that he won't want me back to restore me again. Which takes us to the last piece, something we can't miss in all of this. We find joy in the restoration that God gives to us. We find joy in the fact that we don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyway. So thirdly, there is joy in the proclamation of who God is and what he will do. There is joy in in that and isaiah knew this he rejoiced in telling the people that while they might seem a million miles away from god that god is on his way and he is working this problem out let's read again verses one through three of isaiah 61. here's what he says the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The story of who God is in the life of his people is good news restoration is good news the the god's not only ability but to desire to restore us when we don't deserve it is good news and in jesus the forgiveness and salvation we get is really good news because it is unlike the salvation that even isaiah could speak to his people and the miracle about this is that we who are so undeserving we who are such a mess get to go out and tell people that god loves them and that god has grace for them And that God wants to restore them into relationship with him. We get to talk to people and tell them about the God whose greatest desire is to restore. John the Baptist had this job, and it's the job that we probably wouldn't have signed up for. He lived in the wilderness, wore animal skins, ate bugs, got into lots of trouble. But in spite of this, John was filled with joy because he got to tell people 
about the restoration that was following right behind him. John chapter 1 tells it this way. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And maybe you can remember some of the things that John said, some that we've looked at in the past couple of weeks. There is one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. There is one coming who is so great, you're not even going to believe it. And look, the reason why I bring John up is that John's voice was incredibly important. He got to tell people about Jesus so that when Jesus showed up, they were ready for him. Oh, you're the one that John talked about. There may, there may be no greater joy than realizing that part of our job as the restored is to get people ready for an overwhelming love they don't even know about yet. And, it's, and to tell them and show them that forgiveness and restoration is headed their way. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And if I can do just a little tweak to that, here's what I would want to add. This is all possible because of Christ Jesus. And the only reason I think that Paul can ask this of us is because he knows Jesus, and he knows what Jesus does for us. We have received not what we deserve, but we could never earn. Our salvation has come. Forgiveness is here. New life is available. God loves us completely, overwhelmingly, and fully. And Jesus himself repeated some of these words in Luke chapter 4 when he stood up to read for the first time in front of his home congregation. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To do what, friends? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Because you see, in the coming of Jesus, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, God showed his favor to us that we are loved and forgiven. May the joy of what God has done in Jesus be the story that we tell, the song of our hearts, the lasting impression to a world that needs the joy that we have. For Jesus has come. Amen.